Well, there's a lot of people told me this week that they're being extra careful with quarantining because they're all getting together with their families. So I know a lot of people are watching from home today. Thank you, Richard. By the way, if you're curious as to why Richard runs out after the first worship set, he's got to go lead someplace else. So he's doing us a real favor. <laughs> but God bless you for being here. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Um, all right. I'm going to get right into this because we do have a tight schedule today. Let me, let me pray us into this right now. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you are a God who entered our reality in such a vulnerable way and walked with us and suffered alongside of us and even suffered more greatly than most of us ever will. You lived a life of servitude and sacrifice, of love and care, of truth and devotion. And you call us higher and upwards into this mission of your call in a life and we ask that you would speak to us today about that help us to understand exactly where you're taking us what you're doing in us and what you expect of us even and in christ name we pray amen so this is our last sermon in this series soul life and we've talked about the inner life uh, our own personal walk and spiritual formation we've talked about our family life uh, the second week, and then last week we talked about our work life or our active life. And now we're talking today about our called life. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, the first job each morning consists uh, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that, that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And, you know, obviously he's referring to, at some level to just a basic quiet time. Right, Taking that time, sitting down, shutting everything else out in the world, sitting at the feet of Jesus every morning, uh, allowing him to speak through prayer, which is our direct connection to God the Father through the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, inquiring, listening, understanding what God is trying to say to us as his people. And that is done, obviously, through the digging into the word, uh, into the scriptures to understand exactly what God's saying, both to to, to you and to all of us together as a, as a community. So the question is, to what does he call us, right? That's the question that we wrestle with. And, you know, a quiet time is something that is indispensable in our spiritual formation. It's just something that we should practice every day. You know, have instituted a few things in our marriage. We try to uh, go on daily walks together when it's not like freezing rain outside or something like that. We try to go to bed at the same time. And we try to remember to give each other a kiss before we go to, go to sleep. And um, all those things, they, they sound like simple things, but they, they enable us to time to communicate desires and struggles and joys uh, with each other, including, you know, it, 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 it affords us the, the chance to sort of hear the other person's heart and build intimacy in our marriage, right? And, you know, if you've been married long enough, I think somebody's, Albert's dad, his mom and dad are married 40 years today. If you're watching, you know, congratulations. But it does, it does take work in a marriage to build intimacy, right? And I think that attention also needs to be given to our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is a person like any other. And 
other resource that we have here for this at 6-8 is this little booklet that comes in those gift mugs, you know, um, that that is called My Heart, Christ Home. And I, I just love this little thing. Just take that home. If you've never read it, just read it. It's just a little reflection, you know, on how to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he's having to say to you and all that kind of stuff. Um, when we do spend time with him, one of the things that God says to us is something we've been we brought up numerous times over, you know, past sermons, and that is Matthew six thirty three. And it's interesting. Kathleen was talking to me about this this morning. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know. That speaks of, you know, pursuing his will in life, pursuing his holiness, his righteousness. And, and, and really, it is all about his kingdom reign in my life. You know, uh, imagine sitting together, you know, in a quiet room with Jesus, which is what this little book that talks about. And he quietly he leans in and he voices those words to you. He says, Jason, replace your name, right? You know, my name with your name there. But he says, Jason, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things, I'll, I'll take, care of, take care of everything in your life. Now, how would that feel? What assurance would that bring me? What would it mean to me if he said that to me? What does it mean to seek his kingdom and his righteousness in this, in this world? You know, one sure way... God's will is through His Word. It's simple as that, right? When you read, for example, what we traditionally call the Great Commission, and you're probably tired of hearing me say this by now, but Matthew 28, 19-20, He is speaking directly to us. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age, right? speaking directly to us go or it actually literally it means as you are going go as you're going about life as you're going through life go and make disciples of all nations now that's not nations of of uh, political boundaries it's people groups it's ethnic groups i found out yesterday uh from from uh Sharonette, my foster child he's he said that uh they they speak 24 different languages um in guatemala we were talking to to uh to Mateo back there, and we were all looking it up. And, um, you know, I, I started thinking about, like, Indonesia. When we served in Indonesia, they, they spoke 700 different languages. That's one country. It's one nation, we would call that. But there are so many different people groups and ethnic groups out there, right? So, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, calling them to obedience through right a command which has a promise attached to it that he will be with us always and that is something that jesus voices to all of us in our in the quietness of our time with him to you and to me not just the missionary types not just the clergy out there you know that kind of thing ralph winter which who was a a big uh, missionary voice uh, he, I think he's passed away now, but um, he said the Bible is not the basis of mission. Mission is the basis of the Bible. Bible is not the basis of mission. Mission is the basis of the Bible. The whole Bible speaks about God's mission to reconcile us to himself. 
That's what it's all about. He speaks to us through its pages over and over and over again. Somebody keeps beeping me. I recently listened to a little snippet of one of Francis Chan's sermons that's popped up on Facebook. And he said, uh, in reference to this issue of, of following Christ, of being a disciple of Christ, he said, we've done God a disservice. He said, uh, we too much on memorization or so much on memorization in sort of a rote way, right? Not that we're not supposed to. We are supposed to hide God's word in our heart. That's for sure. And I've asked you guys to do that in this room many, many Sundays. But to make his point, uh, he used the, the example of his daughter, you know, and what if he told his daughter to go clean her room and she said, okay, daddy, and then she walked away, right? And uh, four hours later, she came back and she said, you know, dad, I, I want you to know that I memorized what you said. He, you said, go clean your room. And I memorized that she hadn't cleaned her room, right? Amen, right? That's the... You know, you, you, somebody's laughing because they have kids. Uh, and then he says, and by the way, she says, and by the way, I, you know, I, I went a step farther and I invited six of my friends over to sort of do a word study on what it would mean if I actually did clean my room. Aren't you proud of me, daddy? And he would say, you know, no, I, you know, that's not really what I wanted, right? But that is often how we treat the word of God. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. And let's memorize and study that for the next 10 years, but not actually do it. So here's a question. Do you have a mission in life? Is is it your mission in life? Or have you been captured by a mission? Does a mission have you? You know, in a day when our sense of calling is often rooted in our need to feel so special and unique, Isn't it odd that Jesus would give every stinking Christian in the world that ever lived and ever will live the same exact call, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, etc., and so on and so forth. Paul was a man captured by Jesus' mission. In 1 Corinthians 9.16 it says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast... Listen to him. When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. In other words, I can't help but to preach the gospel. It just comes out of me. It's drawn out of me. I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Captured by the mission of Christ. Absolutely enamored with it. You know, last week we said, uh, you know, living out of allegiance to Christ, we, we explored that, living out of allegiance to Christ, and, and first and foremost, above all else, do we do everything for the sake of Jesus? Are we compelled by the mission of Christ in the world? It's really a question of desire, though, isn't it? Everything we do, Every stinking thing that we do is driven by desire. And if God's glory among the nations, among all the different people groups of the world, isn't our desire, can we really say that we're truly following Jesus? Think about that. Really think about that one. That's that's super important. And if, if, if that's not our desire, 
The only thing which will bring about that desire is intimacy with Him through word and prayer. Because He speaks the same thing to all of us. I think about Stanley Albert Dale, one of the greatest missionary stories you'll ever read, if you ever read his story. Uh, he was a missionary to uh, violent tribes that were fighting each other in, in Irian Jaya. And he died by being shot full of arrows. And what I love about the story is that he's being shot full of arrows and he's pulling them out at the same time while he's preaching the gospel. What a, that's a man right there, baby. You know what I mean? Like, oh gosh, I'd love to die like that. That'd be awesome. (laughs) People remember that one, right? But he was a man that was captured by the mission of Christ. And his death spawned this gospel among all those tribes that killed him and they stopped warring with each other. They stopped killing each other. A man who faced death because his desire for Jesus, for Christ's mission was so strong, you know, it, it was enough for him to say yes when he was called, even to his death. But even closer to home, we have examples of those that live, you know, living in the center of their calling and how they're being Jesus to others, you know, even in our own crowd, using their gifts and their calling to reveal Jesus to others, other people around them. I think about, and I, I, maybe I pick on her too much, not pick on her, but praise her too much. Uh, I think about Kathleen back there, whose heart is, you know, her, her heart is as large as large can be for those that don't yet know Jesus. And she prays for and with people and shares Jesus with people. She is a woman that is captured by the call of Christ. Her desire leads her to do something about it whenever you get around her. I think about Chuck and Christy and pushing past their fears to pray over people in public and share the gospel whenever they, they see opportunity. And many of you have done the same thing. And we need those examples because they reflect that God has a burning desire. He really does. He has a burning desire. In John 3.16, an often memorized verse for evangelicals, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We read that over and over again. It becomes like, you know, rote in our heads. But think about it. God's desire must have been incredibly strong, must have been burning in his heart for him to take that step. In thinking about that, that that sacrifice that he made for us and his last words to us before he ascends, right? You know, ask yourself, do your own desires seem naturally seem to take precedence over God's? Whose dreams are we seeking to fulfill, in other words? Do we have our own life's mission or have we been captured by Christ's mission in this world? John Wimber often said that the work of Jesus is everyone's calling. He would say it by saying everyone gets to play. To love the unlovable, to serve our enemies, to care for the sick, to care for the poor, to strengthen the weak. Uh, equip the saints, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that ministry is, to do all these works of the kingdom of God. God's love for the world must become our love for the world. His desire for all nations to know and to glorify Him must become our own desire. Not just memorized, but lived out. 
That's scary. That scares some people to death. Don't you hate it if you're misquoted or when your words are taken out of context or Mrs. Chan and his daughter that people didn't actually do what you say, but they only remembered what you said? This happens to pastors quite often, right? We have 30 minutes to stand up here and say something more than that. And uh, inevitably, we say something that gets misconstrued, where people say, good sermon, and then they go home and do the exact opposite of what you said. (laughs) By the way, I do that sometimes too. (laughs) Well, God is the same, right? He's the same. There's a reason he recorded his words for us. There's a reason why he's been so clear in speaking to us. Many people wring their hands and they wonder what you know what God's will is for their life, where it's all there on black in black and white on the pages of Scripture. Typically, we don't need any more direction than that. There are thousands of opportunities before us to live that out. We have you know all the freedom to choose and pick and choose among them. There's probably too many of them, but oftentimes we only hear it and we don't do it. Instead of just looking at the opportunities that are right around us and saying, well, that falls within the call of God, I'll do that. We strive for some special laid out plan, which is so, you know, unique and only to us, right? It's my own personal calling because we view ourselves as so incredibly special. I've often heard people quote part of Isaiah 56, 7 which says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And that's all they say. You you even see it written on little signs in your house, maybe. And they say God wants us to become a house of prayer. And that sounds so devoutly religious and pious and wonderful, right? My house will be called a house of prayer. Well, we should be a prayerful people. That's obvious. But, But prayerful about what? Who should be prayerful people? You know, whose house is it anyway? Well, God says it's my house, right? A house of prayer. But for what or whom? Well, since we often cut off the latter part of that verse, which tells us for who the house is prayer for, we get ourselves in trouble. It says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now think again to to the Great Commission. The church should be a place for all nations, all people groups, all ethnic groups to find God and for us to be not only praying for them, but proclaiming the gospel to them so that all the nations have that opportunity to worship before the throne of God. At one time in 6-8, we looked at Mark 11 in one of our sermons, uh, the passage of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple that was sandwiched between, if you remember the story, the fig tree narrative, right? And you remember that Jesus goes through Bethany to Jerusalem and he encounters this fig tree along the journey as he's going into Jerusalem. And it was, it was a, a fig tree that was, you know, in full bloom, but it didn't have any fruit on it and all that kind of stuff. So he he seems like he's in a bad mood or he's having a bad day and he curses the tree, right? And then he goes into the temple, into Jerusalem, and he overturns the tables because they see they're, you know, just, you know, extorting money from people and all this kind of stuff. So he overturns the table and even whips some people, you know. 
And then on the way back, he goes back through Bethany, the same route, and they see that same tree, and the disciples notice that it's all withered and dead. Well, Jesus was saying something about that. Because Bethany, when you translate that, it means the house of figs. So when you go through the house of figs, you expect to find some figs. The temple is called the house of prayer. When you go, prayer for all nations. And when you go through the temple, you expect them to be, to find them praying for all nations. His point was, by that root, Jesus encountered this fruitless fig tree, but it's exactly where you would expect to find figs. And when you walk through the temple, the whole, you know, the house of prayer for all nations, you expect to find nations pray, gathered there praying, or at the very least, that Israel would be praying and sharing with all those people groups that were coming there to know God, because they were coming right through there. But instead, the temple had become the same as that fig tree in full bloom, but devoid of any fruit. The temple was a glorious thing to look at, but it was not bearing the fruit of its calling at all. It was a symbolic of just empty pretense. I'm struggling with this right now because I think COVID has brought this to the forefront. What is church? What are we? We just gather here and sing songs and hear some guy spout a bunch of junk at you? Or are we something different? See, it wasn't just the, 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 the greed that Jesus was confronting in that story. It was the fact that Israel had not, they'd heard it, they'd heard the, the stuff, they'd heard Isaiah 56, 7, but they hadn't listened. They hadn't acted on what he had said. He wanted his house to be a house of prayer for all nations, but they were about their mission and not about his mission. They had memorized the words, but they hadn't acted on them at all. And in all this, as individuals, as Christians, we've got to think, what does that mean to us personally? Which leads us to our second point today. God has a brilliant design. He really does. God has a brilliant design. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Now to each one of the one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So I want to remind you that you're all in, you know, empowered to pr- play a role in this kingdom call. Now, so do you love who God made you uniquely to be? Or do you constantly compare yourself to other people, thinking that you're less? Do you wallow in self-pity, which is one of the worst of sins? Constantly thinking about what you're not instead of who you were uniquely created to be in Jesus. See, you actually are unique and special. But that's not where your focus should be. Right? Instead, you should focus on how God wants to use your uniqueness in this great kingdom-building call of His. None of us are so special that we're exempt from participating in God's mission as His people. Our own special reflection of God's heart is shaped by our genetics and our personality and our thinking and our upbringing and you know, skill sets and inclinations and giftedness. 
And it's all precious and it is all useful towards the common good of others coming to know Christ. Being brought into this kingdom life. We spoke last week of the importance of our work and how we're to be reflecting Christ in all that we do and all that we say. And we each have others who rely on us, who, who, who we influence and, you know, and who we're called to serve in this life. And as individuals, we are each sort of like a stained glass, you know, piece of stained glass through which God's light uniquely streams, right? Stained glass windows, as you know, are put together piece by piece to make this complete, you know, whole window design. I wish we had some in these, this room just to look at them, but we, we don't shine alone, right? We shine better together in community as a body. And it's not really the window itself, right? It's not really the window itself, but it's the light shining through the window and what it produces, which is so amazing. The light passing through each unique piece together in the whole, this beautiful myriad of colors and design on the world around it. Great image of the church with Christ shining right through us. Dave and Lee Hall, our missionaries in North Africa, were called there with their unique gifting but we all had influence on shaping them before they went and support supporting and sustaining them as they are there the two women that we support in the middle east also have their unique makeups which makes them suitable for that kingdom work there i couldn't do what they do as well where they do it each of us has our unique influences and people that we are called to serve and i'd urge you in in this walk of life one of the greatest tools you can you can you can build for yourself is a prayer shield you know i we asked all of leadership at 6 8 to do this but a prayer shield is basically a group of people that you keep updated and you you have them pray for your 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 development development and your your effectiveness in ministry and by the way do you all realize that you have ministry to do This is not just for the pastor to do, right? Coupled with that, hopefully what you learn here, what you hear here, what you see here with your community group studies and all that, I hope all that prepares you to influence well uh, the lives of others well with respect and gentleness towards the gospel. Likewise, you know, often kingdom opportunities through, through this church utilize our gifts and our abilities and our skills in our kingdom work together. We are better together. We definitely are. Which brings us to our third and final point today. God has a bright destiny for us all. God has a bright destiny for us all. In Philippians 3.10-12 through 12, it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that last line. Focusing on that last statement, to press on to, uh, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let's ask, is the good news of God's sort of resurrecting love and His new creation yet to come just for me? Or is it to be shared with everybody around me? Obviously, we know the answer to that, right? For everybody. We've seen not only today, 
but through past sermons and series in this church, that his that God's burning desire is for all nations to know and to worship Him. He's taken hold of us for the expressed purpose of seeing His burning desire realized among all nations. Jesus even said in Matthew twenty four fourteen, the end will not come until all the nations have heard the gospel. Hence, His last command becomes our first concern. To go and make disciples of all nations. Right here in this area and across the world. You know, we have refugees from various people groups, uh, various nations coming to us right now. There are six major relocation services in America, three of which are headquartered in Philadelphia. So Philadelphia has been designated as a relocation site for refugees. Syrians and others, you know, coming in over time. And these are just more uh, divine opportunities for us to fulfill our calling, you know, among the nations. What what people groups will God sort of bring us through these avenues? And how can we shine the light of Christ into our lives? Christine and I are planning to go talk to some people in Philly about this, this very uh, issue. I was once in a crowd of women who were... Um, you know, befriending these uh, international students and refugees and other women, and one of, one of which was a Saudi Muslim woman. And uh, this young Muslim woman had been asking a lot of questions about Jesus to, to my friend. And when my friend gave her, a, her, her own Bible in Arabic, this woman just, she said, uh, she was so excited. She said, I'll smuggle this thing back to, to, to Saudi Arabia and I'll read it cover to cover, over and over again. I am so excited to have my own copy because you don't know this, but Muslims culturally and religiously are not allowed to ask you for a Bible. She could never ask for it. But this woman just gave it. And she was so extremely grateful. So you've got to wonder, how many Muslims would be grateful for a copy of the Scriptures in their own language? William Cameron Townsend said, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. And that is so true. Through our individual design, God will lead us to great sort of stunning opportunities to extend his loving kingdom. That may or may not mean you know, a relationship with a Saudi Muslim. It may be your Jewish neighbor. It may be the unchurched guy you run into through your kingdom opportunities in your community group. It may be the young lady you buy coffee from every week. Uh, it may be your co-worker. It may be a relative. But it is every human being's calling to know God. They are missing something. And to be made whole by God. So our true calling is to help an intimate exchange of life between them and God. To have that happen for those that we have been given influence over. God's calling the church to arrange the meeting of other peoples, you know, other nations with Him. And faith, by the way, is spelled R-I-S-K. We say that often in the vineyard. And risk is interesting, Right? You know, those things that you took risk in before that are so normal for you now. You know, maybe you were scared to death to walk into this church the first time. Maybe you were scared to death to go to a community group the first time. But then you did it, and then it became normal for you. And it's not such a risk. It's comfortable now, right? 
It may seem like such a risk to open your mouth and share the gospel with somebody to tell them about Jesus, but that fear will diminish with practice and tools and things like that. This week we celebrate Christmas. Katie asked me this morning, she goes, are you going to have anything about Christmas in your sermon? (laughs) But this week we celebrate Christmas. (laughs) The, The coming of Christ into the world in the most obscure and sort of lowest of ways. It is a good story to remember, right? We call that the incarnation, right? You know, meaning God became man and lived among us. He became flesh and he lived Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means. And as we view that child laying in that manger, we think of what it means to us and and what it says to us and how does that translate into a model of our own calling. God put himself into the world to show the world how much he loves. His burning desire to be reconciled. Changing the world from the inside out. Immersing himself in the blood and the guts of creation to redeem it once more. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who would believe in him shall have eternal life. He limited his divinity to the shell of human flesh. He lived all these pains and all these struggles that we do every single day. Yet he was without sin in order to be that perfect sacrifice, paving the way for reconciliation to God the Father. God went to such great lengths. He didn't sit back and just mouth the words and you know, do a study on the question, what would it mean, what would it look like if I actually sacrificed for these people? He did it. He did it. He lived it out among us. The incarnation is a model of ministerial life for all of us. As we see Jesus enter our world like that, he becomes our model. We enter the world of others, you know, bearing that message of forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ. And and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. We don't get caught up in fear. We don't get caught up in all the political garbage and all that stuff because Jesus is with us. Our allegiance and protection fall first and foremost under His guiding hand. Amen. Might we die? Yes, we might. Stanley Albert Dale did, and many others throughout history have. Might we suffer? Most definitely. But we suffer in self-sacrifice. Our model Jesus, bringing life back to a dying world. Isn't that worth suffering for? Remember, Paul said he rejoices when he is found worthy of suffering for the sake of Christ. It's true, the cross bears those who bear the cross. The cross bears those who bear the cross. Betty Scott Stamm, who died at the young age of 27 years old, alongside her husband as missionaries in China, offered her life to Christ. She said, use me as you will, Send me where you will. Work out your whole life, your your whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. The last thing her husband wrote 
before they were killed, he wrote, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of communist bandits. Whether we will be released or not, no one knows. May God be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20. Now, Philippians 1.20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have a sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So in the face of such courage from a 27-year-old woman and her husband, how shallow does my indifference to God seem? How shallow? So you want a Christmas sermon, Katie? Everybody else? (laughs) Here it is. Go be like Jesus. Go be like Jesus. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Right? Be enamored, be enthralled with the call of God on your life. Follow your model who gave up everything for the world, who incarnated himself so that you and I, along with countless of others, would have the chance at wholeness once more. A God who would go to such lengths for you that it compels you to show and tell others about Him. Be captured by His calling. Don't just memorize the story. Live it. Be an influence for Jesus wherever you are, wherever you're at, at all times. Stop following your mission in life and be about God's mission of making disciples nations to His glory. Ask yourself, is there much about who God is and who I am that I have yet to discover? Is there something God's saying that you may have missed all along the way? Have we read the Scriptures through a milquetoast subculture of Christianity that's not really calling us to sacrifice ourselves? Have we just relied on another's interpretation of Scripture like Isaiah 56-7 instead of reading the whole of it and really wrestling with what God is truly saying to us? Ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to hear His voice above the din of all others clamoring for attention, to give you ears to hear His daily calling on your life as His followers and your specific role in that mission to love the world to wholeness. Ask Him how you fit specifically uh, the specific of this local church and what we're doing together in the world. Glue yourself into that mosaic, which is the stained glass window of the local church. Stop theorizing and start living. Jason's wound up. Um, uh, I want to give you a gift today. And I would really appreciate it that everybody in this room left with one of these. Uh, there's a little Bible over there, right right there stacked. I've, I've, I have uh, Bill's going to hand them out. Uh, next to those Bibles, a little stack of these cards. Just stick it in there. There's little uh, rubber bands. they got the verses on these little things. This is just an easy way to share the gospel with somebody. Number one, go to tab one. You read the highlight verse. Number two, you go to number two, you read, read the highlighted verse. All those verses are also on these little cards. I keep this card in my wallet so that I can share it with anybody that I come across. 
But it's just very simple, very easy. You could even just have them on this on your wrist and use that. Here's this is also something you can take if you really want to. This is a sort of a study for a new believer. Like how do you walk them through life and understanding Christianity? So those are all over there. I would love at the very least that you leave with these today. And I would even challenge you to take the Bible that's in the pew in front of you and take that home as well. Because this is just the New Testament, you know, but um, take the Bible and give it to somebody this week. Give somebody the gift of the Bible during Christmas this week. And just see where God does, what God does with that. Now, as we've... Wow, we're really over. I, I'm, I think we're going to have to cut something. Uh, we have... Uh, we, uh, is my wife here? Did my wife go downstairs? Oh, she's in the bathroom. <laughs> she's supposed to be uh, sharing something today. Um, let, me, let me pray as we close. Can you come up and share? Done right now. Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for what you're saying to us. Uh, we praise you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Just speak to us further today as we listen again. In Christ, and we pray. Amen. It's all you.